0: if you're innovating, creating, or making a difference. This show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee, I'm Doc Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do.
1: StankSat is a satellite, and more importantly, a nano-satellite, meaning that it is a very small satellite
2: size of a grapefruit or even a little smaller than that.
1: It is a sacrifice on the students' parts because they still have to complete those commitments in school and then on the side come to NASA and work with us.
2: The whole point of this was just to do the design effort. It was never intended to fly. We offered it to them, do you want to try and go fly?
0: In June 2019, students at Florida's Merritt Island High School launched a small satellite which they had designed and built under NASA's guidance. Nearly 80 students had worked for a period of eight years to create this CubeSatellite or CubeSat, according to NASA's webpage. The CubeSat was nicknamed StangSat for the school mascot, the Mustang, and it was developed as part of a Space Act agreement between NASA's Kennedy Space Center and schools in Florida's Brevard County. On site during the 2019 Podcast Movement Conference in Orlando, I had the opportunity to talk with NASA Electronics Engineer Kelvin Ruiz and Integration Engineer Sean Daly, both of whom served as mentors on the StangSat project. We are recording live on site here from the TalkShoe Pavilion at Podcast Movement 2019. Kelvin, you're inspiring a lot of young people with the StangSat program, but what first inspired you
1: Well, so, I think it goes back to high school. And I was involved in the first robotics program, which is still going on. That was now almost 20 years ago. And then once I got involved in that program, I knew I wanted to be an electrical engineer and I knew I wanted to build machines and robots. So, uh, at that moment in time, I knew I wanted to go into engineering. Now, the opportunity to work for NASA... You know, never in my wildest dreams, I thought I was gonna get that opportunity, but through my engineering um, in school, I went to the career fair one day, NASA was there, and I gave it a shot, and here I am today.
0: How exciting. (laughs) And fast forward to now, when I have you down as the main software mentor on the StangSat project. (laughs) If people don't know what in the world StengSat is, how do you describe it?
1: So, StengSat is a satellite And more importantly, a nanosatellite, meaning that it is a very small satellite. So our cube or cube set that it it looks like a cube because it's a 10 centimeter cube. So about four inches cube. And it's a very small package, but you can do a lot of important science and engineering on it. Um, And it has enabled the next generation of students to get involved.
0: Sean, I'm going to be asking you the same question I just asked Kelvin, which is, as you inspire all these young people, what first inspired you to become a space scientist?
2: Hmm. We got the chance after high school to go and work at Space Camp as one of the counselors there. Live in and work with the students, and he'd lived in the area for a long time and seen the rockets go up, but it had no real personal connection to it. But once you got to do that and see the kids and see how passionate they were, it was something that it's infectious, you know? It got it gave me a chance to be able to say, wow, I wish I could give someone else that.
0: Malcolm was just describing to me this Sten which it sounds like he said a four-inch square. That's about that much size of my iPad. It's less than half my iPad and would practically fit in your hand. Wow.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: What was that like? for you, being I have you as the main mentor on this program.
2: What was that like? It's size of a grapefruit or even a little smaller than that, right? You have something that you're attempting to do, something that is totally autonomous, that has to rely only on itself, and we partnered at some point in time, it kind of changed, it morphed just like anything, right? It changes over time to be additional requirements and additional chances. The whole point of this, though, was just to do the design effort. It was never intended to fly. And when we first started, we started with clay and having different people put together. A, I'm like a clay person. And you make the arm, you make the leg, all that type of stuff. But we didn't give them any requirements, so we let them put it together. And it became this thing that was not very human-like. And so this was a chance for them to say, what's the design process look like? And I enjoyed sharing that part of it. And so when it became bigger than that, they said, you know, we've got something that we think will work. We offered it to them. Do you want to try and go fly? You can seek sponsorship and try and do that. And they did. And they went through all the steps to be able to go through like just a normal project and fought the fights with, you know, defending their design and said why they wanted to do the things they wanted to do. And they were, they were successful. It was just great to be able to share that with them and to be able to see them do it at the age of like 14 to 17 instead of... 21, which is what most engineers would even get the chance to put hands on hardware.
0: Wow! And fought the fight where they had to go ahead. A lot of that, Kelvin, is going to be the software. What did you find that they had to do with the software?
1: So uh, the most important piece, like Sean said, is that it's got to work autonomously. So once it turns on, it has to do what you program it to do. There's no interaction. The humans are out of the loop at that point. So we the most important piece was every little piece of software we created, we had to test it and test it and test it and over and over and over again. So we, uh, the students quickly caught up. But most, it impressed me the most that many of them had no experience with software before and in a matter of days, they are correcting my mistakes. (laughs) They are providing input to us on what to fix, what features we should change. And it's just amazing that If you just provide the opportunity to a young mind to express itself, there's no boundaries set to what they can achieve, so.
0: Probably as inspiring to them as the first robotics was to you.
1: Yep, correct.
0: How exciting. And I hear that the team was not easy on these students. They didn't give many passes. What was one of the toughest problems that you saw them encounter that they had to work through?
1: When we were working on one of our, our test units, we initially had a, a power system that used mechanical or uh, electromechanical relays. And we were doing our final tests to integrate to do a test launch out in the Mojave Desert. And a n- couple nights before launch, we were doing some testing with the other cube. And somebody hit the table and the cubes had just reset. And now we're like, what's going on? So we spend the next two, three days... With little, trying to find out, troubleshooting, figuring out a way to make it work, and find what the problem is so that we can fix it. So, and and the students got the real engineering, real world. It's time to get your head down and figure it out. There's no excuses, and it was just, just like it is in real life when we encounter problems that are critical that happen, you know, in the last minute.
0: I love that. But I've heard that if you sneeze around someone's of this delicate software, you've got a real problem. I'm very impressed that they could troubleshoot that. I've asked you a very similar question here, Sean. What was the main problem that you saw them encounter besides what Kelvin has just said as they were on the way to making this Sting Sack?
2: So I want to brag on Kelvin for a second before we go too far. Kelvin is probably one of the most positive people you've ever met in your entire life. And I've only seen him angry one time. And his version of angry is different from most people's versions of angry. It was during that same launch in the Mojave, which was uh, kind of a test launch for us, that the rocket went out of control, lost one of its main aero surfaces, and came down very close to us. And it was supposed to be five miles away and ended up somewhere in the nature of 300 feet, maybe, from where we were at. We recovered the satellite out, looked at it. It was completely crushed in a couple of areas because of the impact. And we recovered basically an SD card out of it and we're hopeful to be able to get all of our data. Well, it's a coupled system. So we were relying on the other team to be able to to read our information back and to wake us up. When that didn't happen, because they had a lifted pad that caused them the perfect fault, and it didn't function, he smiled real big. He was like, there's nothing here.
0: <laughs> That's <laughs> and, angry for you?
2: <laughs> and. You could see him like welling up and the kids were distraught by that. And we talked about it and said, you know, don't feel hurt. You know, this is the time when you really get to learn. This is the time when you really get to see what engineering is, as when you see the fault, the failure of something that happened. It's not just you that had a problem. It's your system that had a problem. So we had to go back and start setting new rules for like how we would talk between because our partner in this was Cal Poly over in California. And so you're on the West Coast, we're on the East Coast. We can only really get together at spring break and summer breaks and holidays and that type of thing to really do integrated testing. So we had to find new ways to be able to make sure that they had a real understanding of our system and we had a good understanding of theirs. And we helped us redesign some of the aspects. We talked about that electromechanical. We moved away from that particular relay to a different style and then had to go defend why we changed to the chief engineer's office and talk to them about why. But the kids did that. That was all they're doing along the way. They said they did the trade studies, they did everything that goes with it to be able to make that happen. And no matter the fact that we had 80 kids that did this over that period of time, every group of kids that came in just kind of, okay, they moved into something far better than adults would. Wow. (laughs) And just morphed into whatever spot they were in and were able to do that very, very well.
0: I have been curious, and this is a question for both of you, what kind of a time commitment do we have when we get a student involved from high school in making something like the Sting Set? I'm going to start with you this time, Kelvin.
1: Well, so we were, that's one of the challenges, right? So they they had their normal school uh, time period, and they would leave school on 3 o'clock or so. They would show at the lab at 4 o'clock, and then we would work for a couple of hours uh, a couple of times a week. When time got closer that we were getting to milestones then we cranked up the heat and we we'll do weekends holidays so yeah we try to strike a balance of course but but it, it is a it is a sacrifice on the students parts because they still have homework because they have tests they still have to you know complete those commitments in school and then on the side come to NASA and work with us but but I think it help helps them de- develop discipline and, and commitment. And I think overall, <laughs> it's a great experience for, for not only them, but also us as engineers. And you probably
0: learned quite a lot from that. Sean, I'm curious what each of the students were doing. Let's say that we've got a student who's good at English, one who's good at math, and a science geek, because I happen to be one of those. Mm-hmm. What different tasks do they have?
2: So one of the things we tried to do is when new people were coming in, is we gave them a chance to see the different groups and let them move around to them. So we had ones that were involved in overarching systems engineering, which is looking across the whole project. Some that were doing social media, some that were doing that on the side, along with doing like mechanical or the design portion of it or the software portion of it. They got to choose their route. And I think that that was the empowering part for being able to say, okay, what do I wanna do? And some of them started with one thing and ended in another. So one of our students started off in mechanical and worked that for basically the entire time he was there, three years. And then by the time he left, he's like, done with mechanical, (laughs) going to software. So he went to FIT down in the southern portion of Melbourne and has done phenomenal as a result of that. Every kid that was there stopped being a kid within like one or two meetings. They were just capable of doing so much and we had some of the best systems engineers based on their performance we gave them a chance to say what do you want to do where do you want to go how do you want to do it and so everybody that picked up that systems engineering role was like it was obvious you know that this person is the one that wants to do it and is capable of doing it they got chances as a result to come and do some time as interns and have gone on and done the same kind of roles once they got into the college either working in groups that were developing satellites or working in business. We had ones that went in the international business. We've gone healthcare, but wherever they chose to go, they went. And they we wrote quite a few letters of recommendation along the way, but they were capable of just easy in comparison <laughs> dealing, after dealing with the things that they dealt with during those early years.
0: I've heard that some of the young people actually went on to work for NASA.
2: They have, yeah. We've got, I think about four or five that I can think of off the top of my head. And some of the recent groups that have just finished their internships and started—one at Marshall, one at Johnson—we've got a couple that are doing come in here and potentially going to be doing some work as contractors, which is great. And it's great to see them move in and do things. But they were just when you have people that have done something, it's you got to smell to you. You know that it's not just like I have it on paper. You come in and show within you know days that they really have it. They understand. It.
0: What do both of you, and I'm going to start with you, Kevin? what do both of you remember best from lunch day, June of this year?
1: (laughs) Wow, what a night, or what an early morning. (laughs) How early? (laughs) I think, so initially it was like 11 something p.m., but it got moved to 2 a.m. or so, so we spent the whole night there, but it was just amazing, Uh, I mean, being able to see something from beginning to end is just the most rewarding experience, and and yes, I work for NASA, but this is also my first satellite. So my primary duties are were at that time creating launch control system but not creating satellites. So for me as well, it's the first object that I have in space. So it's just amazing. It's just there's no there's no words to, to describe. You can see the fruit of your work. Um, Yeah,
0: sounds like the most amazing experience. How about for you, Sean?
2: Well, i got to say that a lot of folks, when they work on this, on spacecraft especially, they get a chance to do something once or twice in their career. And to see this was the first KSC and LSP-sponsored free-flying satellite that we had ever worked on. And to see it be successful, and even before you knew it was successful, seeing the pictures come back from the kids and being there and folks coming back in that hadn't been involved in a while, had graduated, gotten married, you know, things change over eight years. So it's it was great to see their their efforts pay off.
0: What is StengSet doing right now? I know it's launched, and how long do you expect it to last?
2: So we have a requirement that this has come down within 25 years, because it is an unpowered satellite, so there's no propulsion on it and that type of thing. Our mission was from the moment that the first rumble happened until we're ejected out. That was our entire mission was intended, right? But you're not allowed to be ejected as a effectively off object. One of the rules that we had was that you couldn't transmit as soon as you came out of the pod because you were worried you were going to affect the second stage rocket. So we had to, to shut down the Wi-Fi transmission portion of it. But what we didn't do is we didn't end our mission there. So we put reflective, highly reflective tape on the outside of this. It's a very small object, as you mentioned. And what we did was we turned that back over to the Air Force and said, here we are as a point in space that you can see come around on a more regular basis, and you can use it for tracking. So they're doing that now to say, how small can we go and track effectively and predict a location and have it be repeated?
0: This is amazing to me. Of course, I've got the tough question for you, Kelvin. What's next? Now that that's up there, that's your first launch of a satellite. What do we do now?
1: Well, right now we're, we successfully received the data back from space. So to me, that's even more rewarding than launching, right? Getting the validation that it actually worked. So now we're going through all the data, we're parsing everything out we're gonna start doing some analysis on that data because the purpose of the satellite or one of the main goals was to measure the environment, these CubeSat experiences on the way up to, to orbit. So we had a set of accelerometers on board and we were collecting all these shock and vibration accelerations uh, that it experienced. So we'll be working on that. And any follow-on projects after that, we still haven't determined We're still thinking about what's the best way to proceed and maybe build more.
0: So people can check NASA's page. I did promise you that we're going to say this podcast is not endorsed by NASA. I'm not in any way, shape, or form connected with NASA. They were kind enough to send the two of you to me today as guests. But where can we find NASA's web page?
1: So the main site is www.nasa.gov
0: and we'll find all the information on future CubeSats and on
1: StankSats. From there, there's all kinds of information between educational resources for teachers and students, multimedia, videos, photos, as well as information of all the upcoming important missions. How
0: exciting. Final question for both of you, and thank you for your time. If people get only one thing from you about innovation, creativity, and making a difference, what would you want them to take away from you?
1: Since we're focusing on STEM and education, so what I want to say is it is very important for for students to see the connection of what they're learning in school relates to the real world. And that's something that we, we always took with us in every session is what we're doing, how does it relate to what I'm learning in school? So how does this relate to math? How does it relate to science? So when we talk about acceleration and g-forces, you know, Well, you might not have taught it g-forces in, in high school math, but let's talk about vectors and forces and how do we calculate our acceleration vectors and, oh, these formulas look very familiar. They look like geometry formulas. So, you can see how you can make a connection, how valuable those skills actually are to working in the real world.
0: How about you, Sean?
2: I gotta give credit again to our education office at Kennedy. They did a fantastic job getting this even started. They came to us with a plan of creating an understanding and broadening of education in space, which was cubes. We like acronyms, so that was important to be able to say how do we teach these types of things. This is led into what they call Alana has a handbook now that is a part of our lessons learned. You know so we were the customer in this case to be able to go fly and the students were the ones who were going through it. And we got the feedback quite a bit and said, you know, this is a huge pain. (laughs) This is is destroying us along the way. And they got to make improvements and changes along the way and make it better for the next team. So like Kelvin said, you know, the purpose of this is to find out how to do this enough. Meaning how do you design a system that can handle the mission that you have? That was a it was an impressive mission, you know, a Falcon Heavy at night going and landing, you know, both boosters and attempting to land their most ambitious yet, landing that center core and seeing this be able to survive that ride. We wanted to be able to say, how can we make it cheaper for the next group of students that comes in and wants to innovate? So if any group of people wanted to do this, they wouldn't use a majority of their money that they have set aside and hard raised funds to be able to put it towards something that was just overkill on the satellite. So the students did that. They were the ones that make this happen. They're the ones that are gonna share this out and show that in the jobs that they have in the future, wherever they are. No, It doesn't just have to be in engineering, but wherever they go, they can use that experience of face diversity, found a new way, and, and delivered on it, which is great.
0: Calvin and Sean, thank you for your time today. Thank you. Thank you. You and I have been listening to NASA Electronics Engineer Kelvin Ruiz and to NASA Integration Engineer Sean Daly, who served as mentors to Merritt Island High School students working on the STANGSAT, CubeSat, which launched in June of 2019. You'll find more information on STANGSAT and on additional educational resources on nasa.gov. That's nasa.gov. Meanwhile, check out the pictures and video of the STANGSAT project on Facebook by looking up M-I-H-S, StangSat. That's M-I-H-S for Merritt Island High School, Stengsat. And that concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Listen to more Over Coffee podcasts at 2mavericks.com. That's 2-T-W-O-M-A-V-R-I-X, T-W-O, M-A-V-E-R-I-X, 2mavericks.com. And you can contact us at 2 at gmail.com. The music you're hearing is royalty-free production music provided by Pond5 at pond5.com. I'm Dot Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.